What's up, South Bay Church? Great to see you all today. For those of you that I have yet to meet, my name is Philip Pattison, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at South Bay. Uh, it's great to be with you today. Let me just begin by welcoming all of our campuses uh, in South San Jose, in Sunnyvale, those of you joining us in North San Jose, and then all of you joining us today online. I'm glad you're with us because today we are kicking off a brand new teaching series that we're calling My Not-So-Perfect Family. Uh, and so over the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at how we can win at where it matters the most, how we can win in the home and win in our relationships. And so I'm, I'm stoked today because today we're talking about how we can raise up some rock stars, how we can win at, at raising up our kids. Now, let me just uh, say right off the bat, though, that if you are not a parent, this message is still for you today. Uh, because the fact is, alongside parents, God has gifted us with partners, other people that invest in the lives of the next generation. In fact, that's what Bay Kids is all about. That's what Ignite Students is all about. It's our mission with Bay Kids and Ignite to partner with parents to urgently lead our students and our children to say yes to Jesus and passionately follow him. But even if you're not involved in Bay Kids and Ignite, even if you don't have kids, kiddos of your own, I guarantee, I'm confident that every one of us at every one of our campuses has a young person that is influenced by your life. I'm confident of that. There is a young person that is being influenced by your life right now. So this message is for you today. In fact, let me just tell you one of the partners for our family. There's a, a couple from our North San Jose campus named Dan and Tran. Dan and Tran come about once a month and hang out with our family. And, and Dan has spent hours in my backyard playing basketball with my son. Like, I love that we've got people like in Bay Kids, we've got people like Dan and Tran that are coming there and investing and spending time with the next generation. There's somebody in your life that you're influencing, a young person. Uh, and so this message is for you today. I'm glad we're talking about this as well because, um, in my opinion, there is no greater responsibility that God has entrusted us with. There's nothing more serious that he has put into our hands than raising up the next generation. Right. What an incredible responsibility he has, he has gifted us with. In fact, I remember it like it was yesterday um, that when I first held my son, um, my firstborn boy, my son Israel, I held him in my arms. I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks. I am responsible for this human being. Parents, do you remember that feeling? Yeah. I, I'm responsible for this child. And, and what an incredible gift that that is, uh, but an, an incredible and an awesome responsibility when we feel the, the full weight of that. Uh, We've got some smart people, and we've got some tough people in, on our campuses. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how... You know, we, we, in fact, we have some of the most brilliant, innovative, world-changing leaders on the planet sitting at our campuses right now listening today. Um, I don't care how brilliant you are. You melted when you felt the full force of fatherhood and motherhood and what that meant. It's an awesome responsibility. And so we're going to talk today about how we can do this well, how we can intentionally win at parenting our kids. Um, before we do that, let me just ask you to do this. Would you be willing to just take, take a moment to do some personal assessment? So when we jump in, let's just take some self-assessment. How are we currently doing today in our parenthood, in our, as we're mentoring kids? How are we currently doing in investing in the next generation? If, if you could quantify it in some way, like on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you place yourself? Are you a 6, a 7? I want to encourage you with this. Um, as we focus on our parenting this week and our mentoring this week, you are not going to go from a 6 to a 10. So don't put that pressure on yourself, okay? But... What would it look like for you to go from a six to a seven or a seven to an eight? 
Is there something that you can do, something that you, a way you can be intentional about investing in this next generation that will help you take one small step forward? Um, because the fact is, we're intentional in a lot of other areas of our life, aren't we? We're intentional about vacations, right? We, we do all kinds of research before we decide where we're going to go, and then we put it on the calendar. We decide where we're going to go, when we're going to go there, how we're going to get there, the budget that we're going to spend, what we're going to do when we get there. Like, we plan it to the T. We're intentional about that because there's a lot at stake. It's a big investment, so we want it to go well. It's the same thing with our retirement. Uh, you know, you, you plan and you study and you figure out your options and you probably get some wise counsel from people who know what they're talking about and, 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 and you plan it and then you take those steps because there's so much at stake. You don't want to leave that to chance. Only a fool would leave something like that to chance. We're intentional about so many areas of our life. Why is it that when it comes to parenting for so many of us, we just kind of wing it and hope that everything turns out okay? What would it look like if for, if for us today, we, each one of us were to make a commitment to parent or to mentor on purpose, on purpose, with intentionality, what would that look like? I think it's the difference between riding a roller coaster and sailing a ship. And here's what I mean. When you ride a roller coaster, what do you do? Well, you just get in, you buckle up, and you hang on, right? And you enjoy the ride, and you hope that you get to the end okay, right? There's, there's a lot of fun, but there's, it's also at times terrifying, Okay, um, there, it's, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's some dark tunnels involved. There's a whole lot of screaming and, uh, and, and maybe even a little throw up. That's, does that sound like parenting to anyone? Yeah. Right, when you ride on a roller coaster, you get in and you just, you hope that you make it to the end without the thing breaking down. That's, that's parenting sometimes. But what about, now contrast that with sailing a ship. When you sail a ship, you plan and you prepare ahead of time. You chart out your course. You, you know the destination to where you're headed and you know how you're gonna get there. And then you, fig, like you, you study and you learn how to sail that ship. You probably have somebody that speaks into your life to help train you to be able to sail that ship, a mentor of some sort who's helping you. You get a crew of people around you to help you sail that ship. There's a community that's gonna help you get there to that destination. And then, and then you're attentive, you're aware to your environment, you're mindful of what's around you, you're mindful of what's coming up, of, of the waves and, and the weather, anything that might impact your ship, you're aware of those things, right? And when storms come, you grab that wheel and you, now you, you skillfully navigate through that storm. That's what it means to sail a ship. That's the kind of parenting I want to have. You follow me? There still might be some throw up, but that's Okay. That's, that's what I, this is how I want my parenting to look like. Anybody else? You with me? So how do we do it? How can we be intentional and win where it matters the most? What does it mean to win at parenting? Like that's the question, right? Um, we know what it means to win at other areas of our life. We know what it means to win in sports, right? I got a basketball life group happening tonight. Um, I know what it's going to take for me it's going to take a miracle for me to win tonight. But <laughs> to win in sports, you get more points than the other team. It's simple. In business, to win in business, all you do is you get the, your profits increase and you start producing a value to the community, add value to the community. That's what it means to win in business. How do you win in parenting? If we take a step back, parents, moms, dads, and you look at your parenting, what would you say that your win has been? What your goal has been? 
If we look at how we spend our time and our, what we talk about and the way we spend our money and the, what we prioritize, for many of us, maybe our win has been we want our kids to have a great education. We want our kids to go to the best school to do really well so that they can be set up for success, have great careers, and be stable and you know, financially secure. For some of us, we've, we've uh, organized our life because we want our kids to be excelling in athletics. We want our kids to be really good at sports and to go far there. We've centered our whole life around that, okay? And there's nothing, that's sports, education, careers, all that's well and good. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those are great things. But surely there's more to life than that. Surely we have more dreams and aspirations for our kids than a few decades of a little comfort and success, right? So what does God have to say about what it means to win at parenting. Well, there's a, there's a proverb that's really familiar. Uh, we say it a lot. It's, you, probably, you probably heard it before, Proverbs 22, verse six, and it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That word train there in the Hebrew is the word kanak. And kanak is literally the palate of your mouth, within your mouth. And so what happened in the Old Testament times when an Israelite woman would have a baby, their Hebrew midwife would be there and, and, and the midwife would take her finger, she'd put it into some paste and she would put it inside the baby's mouth on the kanak, on the palate of the mouth. And what that would do is it would initiate a hunger and the baby would begin to nurse. It would initiate a craving for the baby so that it would go to where it could find nourishment and life. And this is what this verse is saying. This is what it's leading us to do. Our win as parents, our goal as parents is to initiate a craving within our children for that which would give them nourishment and life. You with me? That's our role. That's our job is to initiate a hunger for that which is true and right and eternal. That's our win. How do we do that? Well, there's a great case study in the New Testament in the life of a young man named Timothy. Uh, Timothy um, was an amazing young man, great leader, uh, highly influential in the uh, movement and the momentum of the early Christian church. And there's actually a couple of books in the New Testament that are actually named after him. And if you read through uh, what's called 2 Timothy, um, you're going to read not just about what a great guy Timothy was, but also how he got to be the young man that he was, how he was raised to, to become who he was and all the things that God was able to do through him. And so um, you, let me read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. Uh, Timothy, it says, You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, it goes, it goes on to say that this teaching of the scriptures came from his mom, came from his extended family, so like his, his grandma in particular, and then also from a, a mentor of his, a man uh, named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And this Paul was a father figure to Timothy. So he actually would call him son, we'd call him beloved child. He was a father to Timothy. And so what, what Timothy had was he didn't just have this community of people, his mom, his grandma, his mentor, teaching him some Bible verses. He had in them uh, an example of what it looked like to live an authentic Christian life. He saw within them what it means to be radically transformed by the power of Jesus. And so Paul 
actually lays out in verse 10, he lays out this intentional plan. He's talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, there was this plan that I had um, when I helped invest in you as, as a young person to help you become the man that you are today. There's this roadmap that I used to help you become who you are today. And then he lists off these like 10 different things that he wanted to share with Timothy. And I want to share them with you today. I'm not going to share 10, but I'll share four or five. Um, because what, they, what these are is I think this will help us as parents and as mentors have a roadmap as we move forward to be able to invest well in the next generation. Does that sound good? Let me share just a few of these with you. All right, so Paul starts off in 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says, Timothy, you know what I teach. I wanted you to know what I teach, what I believe. Now, I really like this statement because it's personal. He didn't say, Paul, or excuse me, Timothy, I really wanted you to know what the church teaches. I really wanted you to know what Bay Kids believes. He says, Timothy, I want you to know what I teach. You know what I teach. Because here's the deal. Parents in particular, please hear me. Your kids will learn what the church teaches. But your kids desperately need to know what you teach. Your kids will learn what the church believes, but your kids desperately need to know what you believe. Your kids will grow up knowing that the church believes that there is a heaven and a hell. But how different would it be if your kids knew that dad believes there's a heaven and a hell? Your kids will grow up in Bay Kids and they'll learn about who Jesus is and that Jesus wants to be their friend and that Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth, and he died a death for us, and he rose again from the dead. He has victory over death, and now he can change lives and set people free, and, and, and one day he's going to come back, and he's going to claim his people, and we're going to go, and we're going to live with him forever. They're going to know that Bay Kids teaches that. They're going to know that Bay Kids believes that, but how different would it be if they knew that mom and dad believed that? Your kids desperately need to know what you believe, and I know some of you are thinking, um, but I don't know what to teach them. Like, that's why we send them to bake it so you guys can do it for us. Um, as I said earlier, we love to partner with parents to help lead kids to say yes to Jesus. And honestly, we have a role to play in that. That's a privilege and an honor for us to have a role in investing in your home. We have a part to play. But when all is said and done, when we're standing before God, it is not bake kids that will be giving an account for your children. That's you. We are not the spiritual leaders in your home. That's you. Your kids desperately need to know what you believe. And I know that some of you are thinking, well, I'm not going to teach my kids what I believe. I'm not going to put that on them. That's overbearing. I don't want to shove that down their throat. Right? I'm not going to try to get them to believe the things that I believe. I'm going to let them just go to figure that out themselves. I hear that a lot, actually. Can I say something to that? at the risk of possibly being a little offensive. Um, I have never heard in my life anyone say, um, you know, we're not gonna teach our kids to brush their teeth in this house. We're not gonna teach them. I'm not gonna force my beliefs upon them. That's overbearing. I don't wanna shove that down their throat. Just because I have some deeply held beliefs about plaque and gingivitis does not mean that I am gonna make them, I want them to be able to choose what they believe about tooth decay. I have never heard that in my life. You know, C.S. Lewis, I've, said this, I've shared this here before. C.S. Lewis uh, was an author. He was interviewed by this skeptical reporter, and this reporter uh, said, Lewis, you, you, tell me, 
you actually believe you have a soul? And Lewis said, no, I don't. He said, I don't believe I have a soul. I believe I am a soul. I believe I have a body. You see the difference? I think he was right. Your kids have a physical body. But the deepest, truest, eternal essence of who your kids are is a soul. And if we are this disciplined and intentional and uh, about, about caring and teaching them to, to be physically strong and healthy, how much more should we be caring about their soul? Do your kids know what you believe? Ask them. <laughs> you should ask them this week. What if, what if you had your kids this week write a one-page paper entitled, What My Dad Believes? What would it say? What if you had a, what would, what is, what my mom believes. I asked my son this week, actually, that question. Because I was thinking through these things, and so I just my, asked my nine-year-old. He's my oldest. And uh, I said, son, what, is, what does dad believe? I said, what? And I said, just answer the question. I said, what do I believe? Um, and so he paused for a moment, uh, kind of gave me a weird look, and he said, um, he said, you believe in Jesus, and that Pokemon is stupid. That's what he said. And I said, yep, two for two. Um, we do believe Pokemon is stupid. But we also believe in the other stuff. You know, I, um, we, we look for opportunities to, to teach our kids what the things that we believe, just as they come up throughout the day. But we realized that we needed to be also have, have some intentionality in our lives to be able to help us to do that. And so we, we've created some things within our schedule to help us do that. And one of those things that we do, um, it's, it's in our weekly rhythm, we call it Fancy Pants Friday. Fancy Pants Friday. And uh, at Fancy Pants Friday, we have a, a kind of a special meal on Friday night with just with our family. And so we have a, a great meal together. We actually we put out the tablecloths, we light the candles, we fold our cloth napkins in special ways, and we have a three-course meal. It's actually a normal meal. We'll just do three rounds, basic three courses. Um, <laughs> uh, and then my wife and I drink good wine, and, and my kids drink, like, sparkling soda, which, um, or whatever it's called. My, my, my three-year-old called it sprinkle juice, and so that's what we call it now. So it's sprinkle juice. We, we drink good wine and sprinkle juice. And, um, and before we even start the meal, I'll take a moment, and I'll just and I'll pray, we'll take a little bit extra time, and I'll pray over each one of our kids. And we just pray a special blessing for them. And then at the end of the meal, we have a good meal together, and we laugh, and we make jokes, and all kinds, it's a great time. We pay a little extra attention to our manners, because it's fancy pants, right? So, um, and then at the end, just as we're serving dessert, we'll pull out the Bible, and we'll open up some scripture. And as they're, just as they put the dessert to their mouth, I'll start reading a passage of scripture. And then we have a short conversation about what the, the passage meant and who God is and what he's calling us to do and who he's calling us to be. And, um, and we do that at dessert for a very specific reason. Pastor Felipe shared this up here once. Pastor Felipe from our Sunnyvale campus. Um, you know, we want our kids to understand that just in the same way that ice cream is sweet to the tongue, God's word is sweet to the soul. So every week we remind them of this. Every time we have dessert, hey kids, just like that, that cake is sweet to your tongue, God's word is sweet to your soul. Every week, every Friday, over and over and over, we want to teach our kids, be intentional about helping to understand what we believe. You don't, you don't need to do Fancy Pants Friday, okay? That's, that's been meaningful for our family. 
You don't need to do that, but, but what are you doing? What, what could you do? Is there something intentional that you can put in the place where you can help your kids know what you believe? The second thing Paul says is, he says, you know what I teach? He said, but you also, you know how I live. You know how I live. The way that we live will always trump what we teach. How we live always speaks louder than, than what we say, than what we teach, right? Uh, if you're taking notes, would you be willing to write this down for just a moment? Could, could you write this down? Is the way that I'm living a reflection of what I say I believe? Is the way that I'm living today a reflection of what I say I believe? I didn't grow up in a perfect home, but I grew up in a great home. Uh, my, my parents were really diligent about teaching us what they believed about God and the scriptures. And, uh, but that being said, my, my folks lost it a lot. Well, I have eight brothers, okay? I have four older brothers, I have four younger brothers. So that's a, that's a lot of kids, it's a lot of boys. Um, and so in the chaos of it all, there were times when my parents just blew their top. Uh, and I remember uh, pretty vividly sometimes my dad yelling or, or saying some things off the cuff that he shouldn't have said. I remember that. Um, but you know what else I remember? Actually, even more vividly, is that every time that happened, he would come into our rooms and he would humble himself in front of a bunch of young bratty kids and he would say, guys, I'm really sorry about that. I should have handled that differently. God's called me to be a better man than that. I'm really sorry for the way I handled that. I've asked God's forgiveness, and I would like to ask your forgiveness as well. Would you, mind, would you forgive me? You see, my, my parents taught me that taking God seriously was worth it. Right. He's worth taking seriously. My parents taught me that character matters to God. My parents taught me that, that grace is real. It's not a concept we just sing about on Sunday mornings, but it's real. Forgiveness is real. My parents were not perfect, but their lives pointed me to Jesus. And you could do the same. A, a, a mentor of mine did the same thing. A guy named David, he was a pastor of mine uh, for a long time. I used to serve underneath him. We worked alongside each other uh, for years. And I saw him day in and day out. We traveled around the world together. In fact, we some day in and day out. And what I saw in David's life was this just deep integrity. And I saw this deep heart for God, a passion for God. It just so, so deeply inspired me, in fact. I, much of his life and his passion for God actually emanated out of this uh, time that he had with God every morning. Every morning he was disciplined. He would spend time in, in, in the word of God and he'd, he'd study and he'd, he'd pray and he would, get, he would grow in his relationship and his communion with God. And he actually, he'd actually read through the Bible twice a year. Every six months he'd read through this, all of the scriptures. He did that for 30 years. He told me once he'd read the Bible 70 or 80 times. Because of that, it was like so deeply entrenched in his mind and in his heart. It was always on the tip of his tongue. It was the filter through which all of his decisions were made. And so deeply, he, he, he was so passionately committed that he had, a, he had a philosophy. He said, no Bible, no breakfast. He said, he's like, I'm not going to put food on the tip of my tongue until I get God's word into my soul. Every day. And I was so deeply impacted by that. I said, I want my kids to see that in me. And so now as I have my time in the morning with God, and I, I, I'm reading my scriptures and I'm praying and I've got my journal open. I'm not doing that in my room. I'm not doing it in my, at my office. I'm doing that right in my living room. I'm, I've, I've got a blue chair at our living room. I sit there with my cup of coffee and I've got my Bible. I've got my journal. I want my kids to see it. 
because I want them to see that, that trusting God and knowing God and growing in my relationship with God matters. It matters. Does the way that you live today, is it a reflection of what you say that you currently believe? That's the second thing that Paul said to Timothy. The third, he said was this. He said, Timothy, you know what I teach? You know how I live. But he said, you also know, you know what my purpose in life is. What is most valuable to me, what my purpose in life is. Jesus says that our purpose in life is to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. That's what life is about. It's to know God and then to center our life around him. But that's really hard to do in our world today, isn't it? We live in a world where we're constantly getting pulled and there's swayed and there's just all kinds of distractions to take us away from centering our life around God. As parents, we, we want to do everything that we can to provide well for our family. So what we, what we, if we're not careful, can find ourselves doing is pouring ourselves more and more and more and more and more into our careers so that we can get more and more and more for our family. The things that we think our family wants when what they actually need is us and a deeper relationship with God. And we were so concerned about getting our kids on the right track that we put them in all of these activities and they're in hockey and baseball and basketball and gymnastics and they're doing tutoring and they're so busy that very quickly we can move from having a God-centered life to a child-centered life. Right? I, there have been multiple times that I have been out and about running errands and uh, I run into somebody that maybe has been a part of South Bay for a while, but I hadn't seen him for months and months. And it's great to see him and we're catching him. Oh, it's so good to see how's the family, how's this and that. And it always comes to the conversation. I say, man, we haven't seen you at South Bay for a while. Have you guys gotten connected into another church? And almost always the answer is, no, man, actually, I just started coaching my, my kids' hockey league. I just actually started, my, we just got our, kid, our daughter in, in ballet. We just started doing this. We just started going to the beach and we've been going, 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 going and, and we just haven't been able to make it to, to church. We haven't been able to attend. Can I, can I be frank? I, I don't know if it's possible for us to have a God-centered life and then not, not make time to actually come together with God's people to, to worship and to honor his name. I don't know how we can do that. I don't know if it's possible to have a God-centered life and not to prioritize serving and being on mission with God's people. I, I just don't think it works that way. And we have to understand, parents, please hear me. We have to understand the significant message that this sends to our children. Now think about it on the other side, on the flip side though. Think about what your involvement says to your children. Do you know what, do you know what message it sends to your children when your life screams out, I'm a contributor to the family of God. I'm a contributor. I have a role to play in this. I have a function to fulfill. I have a gift to use. I'm going to leverage my resources and my gifts to be used for the kingdom of God. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to understand that gathering with God's people is a, is a priority. I'm going to make it a priority in my life. And when I come, I'm going to engage in worship. And I'm going to come and I'm going to give generously. And I'm going to serve faithfully. I'm going to serve passionately. I'm going to be a part of what God is, is doing. And when we open up the word of God together, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat and I'm going to be taking notes and then I'm going to be applying it to my life. And when we get in the car, we're driving home, I'm going to talk about it with my kids. And then I'm going to be, I'm going to be 
in community. I'm going to be connected in deep, intentional, growing relationships. I'm going to be investing in others, and others are going to be invested in me because I am deeply committed to growing in my relationship with God, becoming the man of God that he has called me to be, the woman of God that he has called me to be. What kind of message would that send to your kids? I read a stat this week that said if mom and dad attend church on a regular basis, that 72% of their kids will grow up to do the same thing. That's amazing. I also read the stat, though, that said that if dad doesn't come but mom does, that number drops from 72 to 15%. Dads, do not underestimate the, the power, the, 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 just the, the influence that your example has on your children. If the role is reversed, if just the dad comes, but the mom decides to stay away, that number jumps from 15 to 55%. Dads, don't underestimate the impact of your example. If both parents say, attending church regularly is not a priority to us, and they don't attend church, that number drops down to 6%. 6% of your kids will grow up to be followers of Jesus and actively engaged in a a local church. I don't have this written down, but James Baldwin, the author, he he said this. He said, um, if I can remember it correctly, he said, our kids are terrible at listening to their elders, but they almost never fail to imitate them. Our kids are terrible at listening to their elders, but they almost never fail to imitate them. Don't underestimate the impact of your influence. Um, I love to read. I really love reading when I, when I, I have four kids, so I, I'm getting the chance less and less, but I love to read, and I like to read all kinds of different genres, uh, but one of my favorite uh, genres to read uh, is, are those like epic stories, um, like Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia and Harry Potter and Redwall, and these great, these great stories where they're filled with all these characters of um, you know, heroism and, and bravery and valor and self-sacrifice and these deep friendships. Like, there's just something that stirs within my soul as I read through these books. And so I, just, I could not wait until uh, my kids finally got old enough when I could start sharing some of these stories with them. I just couldn't wait. We actually probably started a little bit too young. My oldest son, we had him reading The Hobbit by himself when he was like six or something. Um, uh, but, we've, but it's just, I couldn't wait. Do you know why? Because it's really easy to transfer what you treasure. It's fun. It's fun to, to, to transfer what you treasure. It's easy to pass on your passion. If, if your greatest treasure, if the greatest treasure in your life is knowing and loving God and enjoying him and growing in your relationship with him, it will not be difficult to transfer that to your kiddos. Perhaps one of the greatest things that you can do as a parent or as a mentor is to stoke the fire within your own soul for God. Um, Paul says this, this is the, I think, fourth thing. I'm losing count here, but I think this is the fourth fourth thing. Paul says, Timothy, uh, you know what I teach, you know how I live, you know my purpose in life, and then he says, you know my love, my love. Um, There are a couple of critical ways that every kid needs to be shown love, and you guys know this. I'm not telling something you don't know, but uh, we all need to be reminded sometimes. Um, One of the greatest ways that we can show our kids our love is time the time that we spend with them, right? 
We live in a crazy world where we have a tremendous amount of demand upon us. Silicon Valley's got to be one of the most challenging places on all of the planet to be able to prioritize time with our family. Um, I get this. And there's all kinds of reasons that we can uh, come up with of why this is challenging and why it's difficult. There are all kinds of excuses we can come up with. Um, one of my excuses, I could say, well, I pastor a campus, right? I've got hundreds of people that I'm trying to invest in. It's going to impact the way I invest my kids. Like, that's, my, that's, a, that's a reason. That's an excuse. I, I could say, well, I lead an organization called Foster the Bay, and we're trying to raise up homes for thousands of kids in the Bay Area who are in the foster system. Like, we, I'm investing in thousands of kids. Of course, it's going to impact whether or not I can invest in my own children. But the truth is, is that if I create a loving, healthy home for every child in the foster system in the Bay Area, and in the process, create an unloving, unhealthy home of my own. I failed. I failed. Because the most important thing that I do as a man is not stand up here and teach. It's not leading an organization. It's what I do in the home. I love, I'm so, I so appreciate our pastor, Pastor Andy, because he's always reminding me of this. All the time, he's saying, Philip, if you've got to take a B somewhere, if you have to take a B somewhere, it better not be at home. We get A's at home. If you have to take a B, you take a B outside of the home. He, he, he mentioned me one time, he said, Philip, it's, life is kind of like you're juggling. There's all these balls that you're trying to keep up in the air. And he said, some of, some of the things, Philip, you've got to realize is that some of those things that you're juggling, though, those balls, some of them are made of rubber, and then some are made of glass. And he said, you got to be careful which ones you let drop. Because some of them, if you're juggling them, then the ball drops. It's not that big of a deal because it's going to bounce back. But for some, if they fall, there's going to be a lot of damage, and you may not be able to put it back together again. I know you, you, you think you're so incredibly busy, you don't have time to invest in your kids. Um, I'm going to challenge that and say you have time for what you choose to have time for. Okay? We have time for our kids. Um, I was talking to a buddy of mine named Jason. Jason goes to our North Campus, and uh, Jason works in tech. He's, he works in a company that does, works with virtual reality devices, and he's great at what he does. And so his teams are growing, and his projects are growing. And, and so um, it would be very easy for Jason to justify uh, coming in extra early, staying a little bit extra late so that he can accomplish all the tasks that he's got in front of him. It'd be really easy for him to justify that. The issue is, is Jason's married and he's got two beautiful young children. And Jason will not sacrifice the time with his family. And so he will not take that time early in the morning and, and the, the time where they, this, all the chaos of getting up and getting dressed, that's really important to their family. Uh, and, and the time where they, as a, all four of them, he and his wife and their two kids, they walk them to school. The whole family goes. It's a really meaningful time of their day, and he's not going to let that go. And then he, he won't stay late because he doesn't want to miss dinner because dinner is a meaningful time for their family. That, for their family, that's a big, it's a big uh, important thing for them. And so what happens is, if Jason's got a whole bunch of stuff on his plate, what he'll do when it's absolutely necessary is he'll leave at this normal time, he'll come back at his normal time, and he'll come back and he'll have dinner with his kids, and he'll engage with his family, and then he'll put his kids to bed, and when they're asleep, he'll go outside, get back into his car, drive back to work, and finish up the task that he needed to for the day. Jason does not enjoy losing sleep, but he will not sacrifice the time with his family. You make time for what's important to you. And by the way, um, I think sometimes we get this uh, idea that like one day 
it's all going to be possible. Like I'm going to, like one day, like there's going to be like this unicorn season. Like it's out there somewhere where everything's going to calm down. How many times, think about how many times have you said that, right? Well, next month is going to be a lot slower. Like, or once I get, I'm going to work hard for like the next year and I'm going to get that promotion and then everything's going to be okay. I'm going to graduate and it'll all be a lot easier. How many times have you looked for that unicorn season off in the distance? Can I, can I tell you something? It doesn't exist. Like, it's, it's not there, okay? If you don't make time for it, if you don't make a commitment to do it, it won't happen. We spend time with our kids. It's the, the first way we show them our love. The second is with our words. Uh, encouraging, affirming words. Uh, I learned something this week I'd never noticed before in the scriptures. There are written accounts of Jesus' life in the, in the New Testament, four of them in fact. In those accounts of, of, uh, of Jesus' life, we only have one uh, time where we actually see that God, the Father, speaks directly to Jesus, the Son, in an audible voice. Um, I'm sure it happened more because were, he was praying all the time, but we only get one written account of it. So well, there's only one time where God speaks in an audible voice and we get to listen in. Do you know what God the Father says to the Son? It's when he's being baptized and he's coming up out of the water and the Father says to the Son, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Hear what he's saying? This is my Son. I love him so much and I'm so proud of him. This is my boy. I'm so proud of him. I love him so much. Isn't that an incredible example that God gives us as parents? We need to tell that to our kids. Every day you need to tell your kids, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. We, we try to do that just throughout the day. My wife and I need to grow in this area too. We, we actually had to build something intentional into our home life so, so that we could uh, uh, be better at this. And so we do something, I've shared it here before, we do something we call true things true things. We do it every night with our kids. Before the kids go, go to bed at night, we'll, we'll, um, I'll get down on my knees with them one at a time, and I'll take their, uh, take their hands, and I'll look them directly in the eye, and I'll go one at a time, and I'll say, uh, like, Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn's my four-year-old little girl. I'll look at her, and I'll say, Gwendolyn, these things are true about you. And then I, then I make some statements, and then she repeats them after me. I'll say, um, I'm kind. And then she'll say, I'm kind. And I'll say, I'm, I'm I'm brave, and she'll say, I'm brave. I'll say, I'm beautiful, and she'll say, I'm beautiful. And these different statements. And then at the end, I'll say, and mommy loves me. And she'll say, mommy loves me. And daddy loves me. And she'll say, daddy loves me. And daddy's so proud of me. And she'll say, daddy's proud of me. And then we always end with saying, God loves me. And she'll say, God loves me. And I bring her in, I give her a big old hug, and I pray over her, and then she goes out to bed, and I take the next kid. It takes about 10 minutes. But imagine what that 10 minutes every night does for our kids as they grow up. How are you affirming and encouraging and loving on your kids with your words? I'm out of time here, but I just got one last thing to say. I'll show you the last thing that Paul says to Timothy, closing with this. He said, Timothy, you know how, how do I teach, how I live, my purpose in my life, you know uh, my love. And he said, finally, he says, Timothy, and you know how the Lord has rescued me. The greatest thing that you can give to your kids, the greatest way that we can invest in the next generation is to, to expose them to the love and the grace of God. That's the greatest thing that we can offer to our kids. Paul, who was his father figure to Timothy, was not afraid to admit his failures to Timothy or to the rest of the world. 
In fact, there was this one time where, where Paul said, uh, I'm not just a sinner. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. He basically was saying, I make more mistakes than all you fools. <laughs> this is one time he was writing and he, he said, it's, it's so frustrating. He's like, the things, like the good things that I really want to do, those are the very things I can never get myself to actually do. And, and the bad things that I want to avoid, those are the things that I keep finding myself over and over and over and over again coming back to. Does anybody else relate with that? That's me. And so Paul's like, it's so frustrating. I just can't seem to get my act together. And then he says, who will save me from this body of death? And then he answers himself, thanks be to Christ Jesus our Lord. For there is, there now, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I just can't get my act together, but thank God for Jesus. Because Jesus went to the cross and he took the weight of my sin on his shoulders. He bore it. It's done. It's over with. It's finished. And now I'm not someone stand condemned before God. I stand free. I stand pure and holy before God. Not because of anything I've done or I haven't done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Paul wasn't afraid to admit his failures. I don't want my kids growing up thinking their dad has it all together because I don't. I don't have it all together. But I want my kids to understand that even though I continue to make mistakes over and over again, I still have a God that loves me. I'm not condemned by God. I'm free. I want my kids to know that the Lord has rescued me. I want my children to know that when I fall, I fall into the arms of a savior. Do your kids know that? The young people in your life, do they know that? That God has rescued you? Maybe you need to be reminded of that grace today. All this talk about parenting, investing in the next generation, using your time well, all of that. Honestly, it's just discouraged you because you look back at your life and you realize, man, I really screwed up. I've made a lot of mistakes in the past. I've had some skewed priorities I've, I've, I've let my anger get away with me sometimes. I've said some things I shouldn't have said. I've wasted a lot of opportunities. You're just discouraged. I want you to hear today, and I think God wants you to hear today, that there's grace for you today. It's available for you today. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You know what grace means? It means free gift. There's a gift of forgiveness available for you today, and there's power available for you today as well. God wants to come alongside you and empower your hands and your mind and your heart as you press forward. In fact, Jesus told us, he said, every time you guys get together, I want you to remind each other of that grace. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to do that as we sing a song together at all of our campuses. All of the, 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 the bands are going to lead us in a song. And as we do that, we're going to do something else to remind, remind each other of this grace. We're going to come and we're going to celebrate something we call communion. Communion is a time when we celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At all of our campuses, we've got tables set up in the auditoriums. And, and as we sing this song, I want to invite you to come. If you're a follower of Jesus, come up and take this bread and this juice. And this bread represents the body that was broken on the cross for you and for me. The juice represents the blood that was spilled on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And as we take these elements into us, into our bodies, we remember of the love of God that lives inside of us if we've said yes to Jesus. And we understand that the love of God covers over every mistake we've made, covers over all the areas we've blown it, every past mistake. And as we celebrate the love of God, would it remind us, would it compel us to continue loving those that God has entrusted to us with the same love that he's shown us? Can we do that? 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this amazing day, God, where we get to celebrate your grace, celebrate what you've done on the cross and in your resurrection. We thank you for the victory that you have won. And we thank you, God, for being able to be recipients of this great message that we get to share this with the next generation. God, we pray that you would help us find us faithful today. Find us faithful in, in the task that you set before us. Would we see a new generation of young people rise up, men and women of God, God, that love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that are passionate about seeing the world glorify you, more and more people coming to know you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.